and our cancer patients have responded by the vast majority of them being fully vaccinated and now being fully boosted as well, which is key to their protection. This is the James Cancer-Free World Podcast. I'm Steve Wartenberg, and my guest is David Cohn, the chief medical officer of the James and a specialist in gynecologic cancer. We're almost at the two-year mark of the COVID-19 pandemic, and Dave will fill us in on COVID and cancer, about how and why cancer patients are more at risk and can have more severe symptoms than the general population, the precautions and procedures put in place here at the James to protect and keep patients, doctors, nurses, and the staff safe, and the importance of the COVID-19 vaccination and now the booster. We'll also talk about some of the COVID-related research going on at the James and the new James Diagnostic Center and the importance of screening, such as colonoscopies and mammograms, which many people have put off during the pandemic. And we're recording this on December 20th, so some things may have changed out there in the world between now and when this goes live in January. So we have a, a lot to talk about. And Dave, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Steve. Great to be here. And I just want to add that it's not just December 20th, but it's December 20th at 2.14 p.m. Eastern time <laughs> because things really can change minute to minute and hour to hour. Yes, you're right. And and I'm sure there, a lot's going to change between now and this goes live. So, And I, I wish we could be talking about how COVID has all but disappeared and, and we're back to normal, but what we're not. So let's start with something that's really important, and that's science. And why is it that cancer patients are, are more at risk and can get more severe complications? We realized very early in the pandemic that there were specific groups that were at risk for getting COVID. And if they were to get it, to have a worse outcome with more severe symptoms requiring hospitalization, requiring intensive care unit stay, and even dying of the disease. And these included people who have respiratory conditions, people who are obese or elderly, but one of the groups that really stood out was those patients who have cancer. And so what we know is that patients who have cancer, the cancer in and of itself suppresses the immune system. And we know that the immune system is key in preventing illness and also key in responding to vaccines, which I know we'll talk about later. But cancer patients have an immune system which is suppressed compared to the general population, which means they might not be able to fight off infection as effectively. And that's even without treatment like chemotherapy and radiation. But both of those treatments for cancer also suppress the immune system, making an individual even more susceptible to getting the disease or having an adverse outcome. So I think I understand, and you're, I'm sure you're going to explain why when people are getting chemo and immunotherapy, their immune system is suppressed. But before treatment, if someone has cancer, is there is the issue that their their body, their immune system is already fighting cancer and doesn't have enough strength and perhaps um, T cells or, and things like that to also fight COVID? Well, I'm not an immunologist, um, nor do I want to pretend to be one, but I would say that in individuals that get cancer, um, sometimes, as you point out, it's that the immune system is busy trying to fight off the cancer. That's one argument. But we also know that cancer cells in and of themselves have the ability to suppress or turn off the immune system. Uh, okay. And so cancer cells are foreign, meaning they didn't grow up at birth in the body. 
And so typically uh, something which is foreign in our bodies turns on the immune system to fight it off. But cancer has this really unique ability to hide from the immune system. And so it actually probably suppresses the immune system just by virtue of it being there. And that's what could cause individuals with cancer to be more susceptible to developing COVID-19 as well as other conditions. Oh, so these cancer cells are not only turning off the immune system to fight cancer, but that that break is applying to the entire immune system. So anything that invades the body that's foreign, the immune system isn't going to identify and kill. And that's exactly right. That's why it's the theory that people who have cancer are more susceptible to getting COVID-19, even in the absence of cancer treatment. Right. Okay. Wow. So obviously it's more important for cancer patients to get the vaccine. But before we talk about that, sort of, and again, you're not an immunologist, which is a hard word to say, (laughs) but how does a vaccine work? What does it do? So vaccines work through a variety of different mechanisms. Most commonly, a vaccine is given and the body is able to recognize that this is something that it wants to react to. And it causes what are called antibodies. Antibodies are things which can recognize something on, for example, a virus attached to it and basically make that virus not active to make people sick. And that's one of the mechanisms by which the COVID-19 vaccine and other vaccines work as well. Oh, good. I'm glad you brought the antibodies into it because that's a phrase we hear all the time. And I I wasn't quite sure what what they are and what they do, but now I think I understand. And so really the body has, the vaccines give the body a like sneak preview and lets it know that this is uh, not something that should be here. That's correct. Something that's foreign and the reaction in somebody whose immune system is normal is that you'll attack that foreign object. And in someone that's got a weakened immune system, like you pointed out in cancer patients, even more important that you have that external factor that's provided that helps them to develop those antibodies that they might not be able to produce naturally because their immune system is not quite as strong. Now, cancer patients who are undergoing treatment, can they get a, a, can, and their immune system is further weakened from the treatment? Is it still safe for them to get the vaccine in the midst of, say, their chemo or immunotherapy? So the answer to that is that it's really an individual cancer patient and their treatment that determines whether or not or when to get a vaccine. In general, it is always safe for individuals who are undergoing cancer treatment to be vaccinated. Um, There are certain types of vaccine which are live viruses, which you wouldn't want to give to somebody whose immune system is suppressed. That is not the COVID-19 vaccine. There's nothing live in that vaccine. But we do know that you have to have some level of an immune response to a vaccine to make it work. So for example, if you've just given someone a bone marrow transplant, which means you've entirely wiped out their immune system, that's not the time to get a COVID-19 vaccine. You got to wait a month or two or three months to begin having your immune system back again to be able to actually have that vaccine lead to some type of an immune response, which is what you want. So that's the only circumstance there where you wouldn't want to give an individual undergoing cancer treatment, a COVID-19 vaccine immediately after a bone marrow transplantation. Okay. That makes sense because they, they have no immune system and they get there. These people are isolated and, and very careful, but so that means all the other cancer patients, which is the vast majority are eligible and should get the the vaccine. And, and before I ask you about that and how's that going with, with cancer patients, the booster. So what happens in our bodies that we need a booster to reinforce our immune system? 
So the theory behind booster is that you have a vaccine, for example, which leads your antibody levels, your immune response to be above a certain threshold that keeps you protected. But we know that that protection is not indefinite. At some point in time, that protection starts to wane. It goes down. And so a booster is allowing an individual to get back above that threshold of protection at the time when their immunity begins to wane against a virus. So the booster is given, your immune system kicks back up into gear, you have enough protection against COVID for a long period of time. And for example, that's why there's a, you know, a strategy for yearly flu vaccination, because that flu vaccine does not last indefinitely. You have to reintroduce that response again, year after year after year, because it's not indefinite. Now, again, you're not a, an expert in this area, but are you thinking that along with the flu that a, a COVID booster yearly is, is a possibility? Well, it certainly is a possibility. Uh, how that's going to pan out is really unknown at this point in time. We're going to have to watch and see what happens with immune responses in patients in general, people in general, including cancer patients. Because again, if a cancer patient's immune system is not as strong, in this circumstance, you might expect that that population needs a booster more commonly, more frequently, or earlier compared to a population that has a normal immune system. What are you seeing with, with your patients and, and being the um, uh, chief medical officer, you have a good handle on the, the every, all the patients. What are you seeing amongst cancer patients and their vaccination rate and how effective it is? Cancer patients are truly remarkable, Steve. When the pandemic started, um, if you recall, we asked everybody to isolate themselves for others, especially those that have weakened immune systems like patients with cancer, and they responded. Um, we had people that did not leave their house for a year wow. who would wear gloves every minute that they could, even if it wasn't recommended. They did everything that they could to protect themselves because, again, they've invested so much in their cancer treatment. And you wouldn't want to be in a position of jeopardizing yourself, your health, your safety, or that of others by being out in public. And so the cancer patients responded when they asked. Um, at this point in time, again, we're in a situation where case numbers are rising in the state of Ohio, across the country, and across the world. And our cancer patients are, again, responding and doing exactly what's asked, which is to limit their environment. Um, you got to be out. You got to be social. You know, again, we're right before the, you know, the holidays. And so we're in a situation where being with family and friends is important, but you've got to do it based on what your individual risk is and what the risk is of being with others around you. Um, and then again, you mentioned vaccination and our cancer patients have responded by the vast majority of them being fully vaccinated and now being fully boosted as well, which is key to their protection. And one thing I, I think we should mention the, the Omicron variant is adding a new element to this. And it's really at, at this point on December 20th, it's about to overtake uh, the Delta. So what what is the, what does a variant mean and where do they come from in? And if everyone gets vaccinated, would that reduce the risk of more variants? That's a whole lot of questions in there. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> the answer is take, yes to all your, of them. Take your time. <laughs> <laughs> so um, a variant in general. So what we know is that um, what this is describing is the genetic sequence, the makeup of the virus itself. And so the genetics is made up of a variety of different components. The native strain, the original strain that we knew as COVID-19 uh, that happened a couple of years ago now, has now changed um, under the pressure of whatever 
it is, whether it's the genetics of the virus itself, whether it's the host, something has changed in it. And what happens is over time, some of these genetic changes become what's called a competitive advantage. It can actually survive more effectively in the host, which is us as human beings. And so that then becomes the dominant variant. So you go from the native strain, which begins maybe dying out, and then there's a mutation or a change, which then becomes more powerful. It survives more commonly and replicates or grows. And then that becomes the dominant strain. And then it happens again. To your point about if people were vaccinated, would this occur? The answer is it would occur a lot, a lot less likely. And the reason for that is that it causes, it requires the host, humans, to be able to get infected to cause a variant to happen. And so if people were not getting infected, then the, there would be no variants and the virus would die out much more quickly otherwise. Yet one more reason to get a vaccine and get a booster. And as you were describing that, the thought flashed through my mind that is this the same thing that happens with cancer, that the cells mutate to make themselves to give themselves more of a defense against treatment and the immune system. Cancer cells do the same thing. Thank you for making that connection. You're exactly right. And so cancer, we know that cancers that have been around for longer in a host, a human, will have more genetic mutations or changes than a cancer which is identified earlier. And likewise, in people who've had chemotherapy, there's the higher probability of there being, you may kill off certain types of those genetic strains, but there are a few that might remain after chemotherapy. And that's why strategies of either multi different types of treatment, different types of chemotherapy can sometimes kill off a variety of different these, of these genetic variants that exist within cancer. Cancer is a very heterogeneous or a very diffuse disease. It's not just you know, a single genetic code of the cancer. There's a lot of different mutations that occur. Ooh, I have a feeling that that connection between mutations would make it so that your scientists and cancer scientists all around the world will be adept and maybe helpful in, in studying COVID. But first, before we get to that and what's going on at the James, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back with Dave. A revolution in lung cancer treatment is happening at the James. We're proving lung cancer isn't solely defined by location and stage, but rather the individual molecules and genes that drive it. Simply put, there is no routine lung cancer. That's why our world-renowned specialists put their expertise towards treating one particular lung cancer, yours. At The James, we go beyond the routine to prevent, detect, treat, and cure your lung cancer. To learn more, call 1-800-293-5066. We're back with Dave Cohn, the chief medical officer of the James. And Dave, let's let's talk about safety, about the precautions uh, the James and you and everyone there is taking to protect patients and, and the staff. Yeah. So this is a really important issue because um, safety is the key to the health of our patients, health of our faculty, health of our staff. And so I think that's what we're all about in our patient-centered care approach at the James. Um, we knew early on the things that you have to do, hand washing, distancing, masking. Uh, these are really key components of healthcare. Uh, and so our facilities are really safe to enter as, as all the facilities are. Um, and that's inpatient. It's also our ambulatory settings as well. You know, obviously we had to do some certain things to minimize the number of people that are in waiting rooms so that you're not violating those space restrictions. And obviously, if people are ill or feeling not well, then um, unless you're there to seek health care, 
a hospital or an ambulatory center is not the place to be if you're a visitor. You wouldn't want to be there if you could have COVID or you could infect others with whatever type of virus you might have. So when a patient comes to see you in your clinic, like what's that like when you're meeting with them? What precautions are you taking and wearing? And, and how about the patient? Are they, is everyone masked and, and things like that? And So within our facilities, all the medical center facilities require masking of our patients as well as our faculty and our staff. Um, additionally, for clinical visits, it's also required to have eye protection because we know that um, through the aerosolized nature of the virus, one of the portals of entry is the, you know, the mouth, the nose, and the eyes. So you want to make sure that those are covered as a healthcare worker. Patients don't have to wear any health, any specific uh, glasses, but you know, it almost feels and looks like a normal visit except for the mask on the patient and then obviously the mask and the glasses on the healthcare provider. It's strange and and perhaps good how easy it is to get used to wearing a mask. I mean, I at first I like it was like a big thing and now it's almost like second nature when I go to stores or wherever. Yeah, I've actually got to admit to the fact that um I've had a mask on before and then gone into a clinical scenario and put a mask on only <laughs> to find that I had two on. That's how normalized it's become for me. It's like wearing glasses. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> So uh, we've I've, I've heard, and I think you've even talked about this before, that the screenings are down, which is, is really dangerous trend screenings for like colonoscopies, mammograms, pap smears, and that's a problem. Yeah. So in the in the peak of the pandemic, I guess we can call it uh, at the at the height of it, we did a great job of asking patients to not be in healthcare facilities unless there was an urgent or emergent need to do so. And so things that we do to prevent cancer, like cancer screening, like as you mentioned, pap test, mammogram, colonoscopy, lung cancer screening with CT scan, or even prostate cancer screening, we asked people to delay those because we wanted to make sure that we were doing everything we could to protect the safety of our population. Um, and also we wanna make sure we protected the safety of our healthcare workers. What we realized though, is that once it was safe to enter back into healthcare, patients didn't quite pick up on that as quickly as we would have hoped that they would have. And so screenings were down 80% from pre-pandemic levels. They came back to relatively close, but they still haven't gotten there. So we know that screenings are still down. And the biggest risk is that the best type of cancer to have is one that you never get. And so if we are not screening for cancers, which means you're picking up precancerous conditions or finding a cancer as early as possible where the cure is the highest, that over the next decade, we could see an increase in the number of cancer deaths compared to what we saw pre-pandemic. And that's just because people have not gotten back to the screening that's currently recommended uh, by a variety of uh, guideline setting organizations. Yeah, I've read a little bit about that, that they're predicting that five, 10, down the, five, 10 years down the road, that there's going to be increased number from some of these cancers that screenings could pick up and that that's going to be yet another uh, result of COVID. Yeah, and with the anticipation is that we're going to be seeing patients that have disease diagnosed in later stages where treatment would be required, additional treatment like chemotherapy, radiation, more aggressive surgery, and then again, more people who are going to end up dying of cancer compared to had the cancer been picked up as early as possible or prevented altogether. Now, you mentioned diagnostics and the James has a new diagnostic center, fairly new. It opened during the pandemic that 
is not a, for screenings, but it's it's another big step in tr- in treating early cancers and getting people the care they need. That's correct. So this diagnostic center was opened up right during the heat of the pandemic when things were closed down, where patients who were thought to have cancer because of something that their healthcare provider was suspicious on examination or on x-ray or a blood test, or people had symptoms that could have been cancer, then we opened up the diagnostic center because they couldn't have gotten care elsewhere. And so through this process, we've recognized that there is an enormous opportunity to identify patients as early as possible with cancer, again, preventing all of those bad outcomes that we talked about that could occur with lack of screening or with later diagnosis of cancer. That diagnostic center is still open and has provided an enormous service for the community at large uh, in identifying these cancers as, as early as we're able to. Great. So people should be aware of that. And that's an amazing option for if, if your doctor re- recommends you get some treatment, you know where to call. That's exactly right. So let's talk a little more science about this connection between COVID and cancer and the research that the James and the Comprehensive Cancer Center are doing. You can give us a big picture view of what's going on. Absolutely. And so, you know, COVID provided a great opportunity to really do some important studies of patients with cancer and how they're affected by COVID and how they're affected by vaccination as well. Those are the two main directions that we've taken And so one of the big studies that we undertook here is looking at populations to determine kind of who is affected by COVID, meaning we know that there's a number of folks in the community in Columbus. We wanted to understand how what their perceptions of their risk for getting COVID was early on in the pandemic. This is epidemiologic studies where you survey the population just to figure out what their feelings were, their responses were, how they were managing themselves to keep themselves safe as well as um, whether or not they had COVID. And then I think the really important recent study that's been done is looking at vaccination in patients who have cancer as well. And so we had this opportunity when the vaccinations were centralized in the Schottenstein Center that we realized that we had hundreds of cancer patients that were walking through these doors for vaccination. And so we very quickly set up a study to look at the immune response in patients to COVID vaccination when they had cancer compared to those that did not have cancer, looking at different types of cancer, looking at the different types of vaccination as well, and then also doing home testing for COVID to see whether or not patients who had cancer who were in the process of being vaccinated had asymptomatic COVID or developed symptomatic COVID as well. So a really important study in the first publication just came out, which kind of documented the uh, waning, the decrease in the immune Uh, effects of different types of COVID vaccination in cancer patients. Wow. So I think I understand that, but that means what you're saying, what the study found is that the vaccine is a little less or even more so less effective in cancer patients than in the general population because of their immune system deficiencies. We know that's correct. We know that uh, patients that have certain types of cancer do not have as great an immune response to the COVID vaccine compared to other individuals with cancer or populations who don't have cancer. Um, That wasn't the main part of this study, but certainly that's been borne out in multiple different studies as well. Now, will this down the road lead to not only how to best treat and prevent COVID in cancer patients, but also because of this crossover about genetics and mutation, help you treat cancer and attack cancer better and, and create vaccinations perhaps? Well, I think that there are so many aspects of COVID and COVID vaccines that's going to help our knowledge of science in general. 
you know, if you think back to the mRNA vaccine strategy, you know, that's something that's been developed over decades. And the timing was just right to use the first in humans mRNA vaccine against COVID-19. But there's been studies of mRNA vaccines for cancer because that strategy exists already. That if you identify something that you want to target in a cancer, you just have to insert that mRNA into the vehicle, which is that mRNA structure um, that we're using for COVID vaccination that could lead to an immune response against specific areas of cancer. So that's one area of research. And then I think, again, this has taught us a whole lot about immunity that we might not have otherwise known and also how to leverage our um, immune systems against cancer. Immunotherapy is currently a very interesting area in cancer treatment that I think is going to really escalate because of what we've learned through COVID-19 and the immune response to vaccine and the virus. Yeah. What's that old saying? Let's not um, waste a good catastrophe. So, I mean, if it's here, you might as well take advantage and learn everything you can and apply it to other, apply it to other diseases. Yeah. I think that is the silver lining. If there is any silver lining to what we've been through over the last couple of years, it's been hard on our patients, our faculty and our staff and knowledge from this is hopefully going to help our patients going forwards. Yeah, that hopefully will be the silver lining. And, and you mentioned about how it's been difficult for, for everyone at the James and being the chief medical officer, that's one of your jobs is to take care of everyone. So how, how are you and everyone managing? It's, I can't even imagine the, the hours and the, the, the work and everything you go through, the ups and downs every day. Well, I, I think that we are centered in our patients. And I think that that's our grounding factor at the James is that we always want to reflect upon why we do what we do. And that makes it easier every day to deal with whatever's in front of us. And as we talked about at the beginning, with things that change by the minute, by the day, uh, by the week, you have to be able to be flexible. Um, we've taught ourselves to be as resilient as we can, but certainly it's been hard on um, every single person who has worked in healthcare but it's not just healthcare. It's every sector, obviously, of the economy, every individual, patients, families. It's been hard on everyone. Um, and I think, again, if you ground yourself on recognizing that we are caring for patients that have a condition, whether it's cancer or anywhere across the medical center, it becomes easier to come in and do your job. And that's always what we're doing. Um, it is certainly hard when you leave the job uh, because again, everything else that you're dealing with outside of work still exists as well. So we're an amazing, resilient team. And I think it is the team which keeps us together and moving every day. And what we can do out here in the general population is be safe, do everything right, and get vaccines and boosters to make your job easier. Well, I appreciate that. That's exactly right. And so we know that if the utilization of healthcare is less, then we'd be in a better position to care for those that are in front of us at any given moment. Um, and you do that by, as you pointed out, being careful, uh, making sure that your environment is as protected as it needs to be, and then protecting yourself and our community through vaccination, uh, as well as now booster shots, which for all adults is currently available and should be done to maximize your ability to protect yourself against this Omicron variant, as well as for COVID in general. Okay. Well, Dave, thank you. That We covered a lot of ground. And as always, you're great at explaining things in ways that I can understand. So I appreciate that. And um, best of luck over these next few months and into 2022 for you and everyone at the James. 
Steve, I appreciate the opportunity to speak today. And again, to let anybody who's listening know the importance of um, doing whatever we can do to protect ourselves and protect each other. So be well. This podcast is brought to you by the Ohio State University Comprehensive Cancer Center, Arthur G. James Cancer Hospital, and Richard J. Solov Research Institute. For more information, check out our website, cancer.osu.edu.